So this year I, I spent some time with the Lord and, and uh, he gave me a word that um, I don't know whether it's going to be delightful or <laughs> or testing this, this year. Um, John 10.10 10 says, uh, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so the, the the word he gave me was life. Life is the word that we'll spend some time with this year. What does abundant life look like? I know that when I um, was visited by God in Mexico and and uh, he spoke to me to to um, not let my wife die <laughs> uh, he said speak life and what a difference that made and and I've heard many people that uh, the simple prayer that they pray was life in Jesus name life in Jesus name I know that in uh, Bethel Church, they have a group of people that, that work with the, the um, highway patrol. And when there's a big accident and people are lying on the side of the road, they, they just go and speak life. And they've had some incredible stories of, of people coming back from being pronounced dead. Hi, TJ. I know that uh, Pastor Ron was just talking last week about speaking life to somebody. God speaks to us in all kinds of different ways. The, uh, the enemy comes that he may steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says that he comes that we might have abundant life. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So life in itself is, is Jesus. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not a concept. It's not, it's not uh, a way of being. It's, it's Jesus and his life in us. So I'm looking forward to Seeing what God has for us in that way. So, get ready for life. Yeah. I want to turn to Matthew. We are, if we are following Jesus, he's been we, we looked at uh, Mary becoming pregnant and Joseph being challenged uh, in a dream by the angel to, to accept that, that um, Mary was uh, made pregnant by the, the Holy Spirit of God. So Joseph couldn't be mad about that anymore. And uh, somewhere along the way, the, the wise men came from the east and uh, they brought 
really expensive gifts. Yeah, Matthew 2. Matthew 2, and we're going to start in 13. They bought expensive gifts. Now, I think Jesus was the first one that that had to deal with um, this is both a birthday and a Christmas present. <laughs> People that are born, like Amanda, dear Amanda, was born on the 15th of December, and she, she gets presents that are both birthday and Christmas presents. You know, like, Hallelujah. So now, uh, baby's been born. They've got to deal with all of this stuff, and that's where we pick it up. Matthew 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 16, just, just hang on there for a second. You know, you kind of challenge the text sometimes. Why on earth do the, the, the angels have to come by dream to speak to some people? I, I think it's to be kind. You know, they can, they can come in, in, a, you know, in, in a physical manifestation, but they, they choose to come in a dream. And if you see some of the other biblical references to when angels appeared before people the first thing that people do is fear greatly. And so the angel has to say, fear not. That's usually the first thing an angel says. And I don't know about you, but when, when I am afraid, I don't listen very well. I'm thinking of how on earth am I going to get out of here? <laughs> well, yeah, when they show up that way, that is. But, so if they appear in a dream, you're rested. You're not, you're not, you're, you're not troubled. You're not afraid. It's just part of the, the unfolding cinema <laughs> of, of what's happening. And so you're able to actually listen because Joseph listened and he obeyed. Now, how many of you pay attention to your dreams that way and actually make life moves based on what you dreamed. Like This is a big deal. Like We just read about it, but he left where he was. He took it seriously, left where he was, took his vulnerable child and wife and, and went to another country. That's, I don't know that I would have done that, but he did. So the angel was convincing in what, what he uh, brought to, to Joseph. Let's pick it up again in verse 16. Then Herod, he's the bad guy in this drama, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, as he uh, had 
uh, told them to let him know when they found the, the, the child. Uh, but they didn't. They, they, they got out of town quickly by another route. <laughs> He'd been tricked by the wise men because it became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years and under. Now that's gross. All, all the male children, two years and under, killed. Uh, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So he, he tried to figure out when the child would have been born. So just in case, he killed everybody that was under two. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. So that's a, a, a city in, in uh, Israel. Weeping and loud lament, lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they, were, they are no more. The little boys are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, which is way up north in Israel. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Thank you, Lord. Amazing story, isn't it? But it's, it's one that we, one that we can believe. <laughs> the angel appears. He appeared in dreams three times here. Huh? And Joseph obeyed and paid attention to what was actually being said to him. But what a, a gross um, occurrence that Herod had arranged. So uh, January 1st, 1923, a, a, a gross miscarriage of justice took place. It was in a place called Rosewood, Florida. And um, Rosewood is a little town in Florida that um, was famous for making pencils. <laughs> but along the way, the, the cedar trees had, um, they chopped them all down and there was no more 
raw materials to be made into pencils. And so people started to move out, and many of them moved to a, a, a nearby town called Sumner. But in, in, uh, in Rosewood, there was, uh, it, was, it was primarily a black neighborhood. 200 people, African-American, um, and they were, were living and thriving in this little town. And uh, on January 1st, 2020, or 1923, uh, a, a young woman... Uh, showed up at the police station and and she had bruises all over her and she said that she had been accosted by a black man and so 1923 it was hatred that abounded in the south real um, division between uh, people of color and people of white <laughs> skin. And so, of course, they, they all rose up and they're going to go and get this guy. And they let it be known that they needed help. Telephone was starting to be um, popular so they could, they could uh, call people quickly. And they had 500 Ku Klux Klan people show you can imagine. Uh, and so they started looking for uh, a man um, that uh, the, the penal system said that a, a, a man had escaped and um, they blamed it all on him. They have a name for it, but I, you know, I have it here. But, but, but it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it's what was happening that, that matters. They, they looked for him and couldn't find him. They, they had word that he was hiding in certain places and they went to look there and, and uh, he wasn't there, so they killed the people that were there. Uh, they killed women and children and men. Um, all, all for this story. It was a terrible situation. They hung people. They dragged people behind cars. A terrible, terrible story. And it, was, it took about a week. And the press at that time, they, they reported, uh, not that, that this rampage was going on, but they reported that uh, gangs of black people were shooting the whites. Like just, <laughs> just gross. And so, can can you see a correlation between now and then, and back in Herod's day? It's all being being driven by fear, by by people that really don't know what's going on, haven't bothered to investigate, don't, don't understand the principles involved, and are just acting with each other 
um, and and what they've learned. As this this kind of um, racial hatred uh, it isn't born into children, they have to learn it. And so, I, I, it, this is all on. Uh, uh, a website called History. Maybe just look up Rosewood, and it, it's it's in there. But this young woman, um, she was married, and her husband was one of the ringleaders of all of this terrible violence. And and um, the story that came out after is that that um, she actually had a lover, and he actually beat her up. He was he was a white guy, and that all of that was for nothing. The human <laughs> is a sad creature sometimes. But there, in, in it, there were, there were stories of heroes that rose up. People that actually went against the grain. The, the, the storekeeper in the town was a, was a white guy, one of few white people there. Uh, and he, he actually hid a number uh, in his house. Two wealthy uh, brothers in, in uh, uh, another city sent a train to get women and children out of the area. They, they paid for a train to go down and get them. Um, a, uh, a man dr- was driving a car and and saw a little kid on the side of the road, a little little black kid, and and um, opened his door and said, "Come on in here, I'm going to save you." And and so she went, got in his car, and and uh, tucked herself kind of in between his legs, and she, he drove her away. She she was safe. He was a hero. People that were willing to take the chance, put their lives on the line for vulnerable people, for people that, that had no way of taking care of themselves. I, I was really struck by, the, by the, the ferocity of, of this story. And then, and then I was reading out of Matthew and, and thought... How ferocious it must have been when Herod's men went through the area and murdered two-year-old kids, one-year-old kids, boys. The bloodshed, the screams, the, mm, the crying. Um, it, it, it's, it's really very sad. So let's look away from Rosewood and and look to the story that remains the same here. You could actually interchange the word uh, Rama in the Bible here to Rosewood. And it, it might read, a voice is heard in Rosewood weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. 
in both ancient Israel and modern Canada, modern United States, we know the devastating impact of violence, especially on vulnerable children and adults. Jesus himself faced deadly violence at the very beginning of his life. He identifies with, with people that, that uh, are going through terrible times. His life was threatened, so much so that his family had to relocate hundreds of miles away. So Jesus faced this deadly violence after the wise men had left Bethlehem and the angel appeared to Joseph in the dream. Get out, or get up, sorry. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. King Herod was feeling threatened by the birth of this baby who had no or who had been identified as the king of the Jews. He didn't want any competition even from a child who had no political or military power at his disposal. This is an innocent baby and 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 uh, Herod is threatened by him. Feeling frightened and infuriated, Herod ordered a search-and-destroy mission to be carried out in Bethlehem. Unfortunately, the feelings that drove Herod to violence are still alive and well. Um, apparently, Rosewood was a prosperous town in 1923 with its own baseball team, and, it, and it's primarily uh, blacks, a Masonic temple, and a few hundred residents. Uh, one of the black survivors said that the people that attacked them did it because the black folks there were living better than the white folks. There was jealousy and hatred that was being built up. Such resentment can lead to violence both then and now. From Bethlehem to Rosewood, the bloody story remains the same. And we look around today. Look around today. People from one side of the political equation to the other hate one another. If you follow the the news stories or or on any of the social media like it it's vehement how they th how they think the other side is is stupid and and hateful they both decide each other's hateful they they have what they call red states and blue states and and blue states hate the red states and vice versa what is causing that what is driving that it's, it's people that we're hating. But we, we so 
have it so ingrained in us that that we are are fearful, we're jealous, we're we're driven by by what the the press is saying and 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 we we do stupid things it's just it's just a shame i think anyway um some citizens feel threatened by immigrants immigrants feel anxious in in canada these days Fault lines appear between members of different racial and cultural groups. We look at the world and feel threatened, which is exactly what Herod experienced. But what if we looked at the world and saw the presence of God? What if, what if we actually believed the word instead of the press? And we actually saw the presence of God in whoever we meet. Our neighbors, um, those that are in social media. We saw the presence of God. Uh So good. Herod had a once in a lifetime chance to welcome baby Jesus. One and only son of God was there. But what what he did was send his troops to kill the boys in Bethlehem and the vicinity where they were two years old and under. Verse 16. He resorted to violence because he did not see Jesus as a gift from God. Instead, he saw him as a threat. As followers of Jesus, we're challenged to see our neighbors as gifts and not threats. When we meet another person, you're coming face to face with a once in history, never to be repeated reflection of the image of God. Do you ever think of your neighbors that way? Do you ever think of the people that you, you come across that way? That person is unique, will never be repeated, (laughs) and is a reflection of the image of God. How often do you have that thought about people? I I have to confess that I don't often have it. I I have to challenge myself now and then for what I see. Each of us is made of God stuff. Every single day you encounter thousands of breathing, animated pictures of God. Every person you meet is God's stuff. It doesn't matter where they were born, whether they're old or young, conservative or liberal. Your neighbors are Pictures of the divine. Small pictures of the divine. They are gifts and not threats. Worthy of respect and not hostility. What a difference this makes. Whether you're in Bethlehem or Rosewood or Cloverdale. Once we see our neighbors in this way and we're challenged to 
to take action to protect the most vulnerable people around us. They could be special needs adults, low-income neighbors, recent immigrants, political refugees, members of a minority group, or neighbors' children, neighborhood children. Joseph made the decision to protect the vulnerable when he took his child and, and his mother during the night and left Egypt where he uh, stayed until the death of Herod. Jesus, Joseph lived as an immigrant in a foreign land and until the angel appeared and said that it was safe to return to Israel. Then he returned and made a detour when he learned that the son of Herod was ruling in Judea. Instead of moving to Bethlehem of Judea, uh, where, where they were from, he headed north to Galilee. And there he went and lived in the town of Nazareth. The story contains many examples of vulnerability. Jesus and his family were political refugees, immigrants, members of a minority group in Egypt, and finally, southerners who settled in the north. And just as Joseph cared for his vulnerable child and wife, we are challenged to care for the at-risk people around us. Therein is the challenge. How often have we categorized people and judged people? We as a congregation have, have uh, embraced the poor. You know, some of these people come in here and, and uh, they haven't bathed in maybe a month or two. And, and, and people don't actually move away from them now. And, and uh, you know, when we started to work with some people that live on the street or, you know, in, and not in houses, it was, it was, we had people move seats. <laughs> so we've, we've learned that part. But what if a man in a dress came and sat next to you? What if? A male couple came in holding hands. Do we demand right away that they change in the instant? Or go find someplace else to worship? Or do we see the image of God? And ask God to change them. But love them in the meantime. What about people that are contemplating euthanasia, you know, the new wonderful Canadian service, the maid service, you know, medically assisted. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thousands of people apparently have died already through the maid. Where are their hearts? How, how desperate are they? How vulnerable are they? And we, and we we don't even think twice about it. People need people. These are these are people that have been hurt along the way. And 
and are desperate for an answer, any answer. They've, they've embraced lifestyles often that, that we find off-putting. We just can't take ourselves to that place. But what took them to that place? What decisions have they made? And, and how on earth can we help them? Rather than avoid them. Rather than, than um, ostracize them. And demand that they get their lives together before they're allowed to worship with us. Jesus hung out with sinners. He didn't sin with sinners, but he did hang out with them. His example to them was huge. And we don't have to sin to be around some of these people, but many of them have not experienced the incredible agape love of God flowing through a Christian. They have a poor substitute for that. Worldly lust, or what they call love, but it it just doesn't equate to what God has for them. Do, do we have it to give away? Or have we, have we taken on so much of the world and the world's ideas that we don't see people as once-in-a-lifetime images of God? It, it takes a switch in our minds. As many of us really, really need to, to challenge how we're thinking about people and how we judge and how we, we, we put a distance between us and them. And it just shows our own insecurities because we're better than them and puts them down in some way or another. Um, I, I, my mind goes so often to Hillary Clinton referring to everybody who didn't vote for her as a basket of deplorables. Like that, that's raising herself up and her and her friends and putting the rest of the world down. You know? Something wrong with that. Especially when we know that those people are the image of God. How do we reject that so quickly? We, we need to challenge ourselves to be kingdom people and not people who attend church and call themselves Christians. We need to be kingdom people to do the things that God would do, not the things that the church has learned to do. We've, we've taken on so much water of the world that our ship has, has started to sink. There are so many haters in church that the world is recognizing that. They can see us for who we are. 
We reject everybody else. Either you're Christian or you're going to hell. Now that's true, but we don't have to <laughs> let people know that. We can actually love them. God will tell them. <laughs> he has a way of getting through to everybody. He's working on everybody. He's wooing everybody. And we can mess it up in an instant by our judgment, by our, by our uh, ostracizing and alienation. What I felt like God was saying this morning is this is a year when we can actually decide to live differently than the world around us. The world that, that is very good at dividing. Think of how many divisions there are there. It's, it's not just um, uh, your skin tone that divides you. It, it is, it is uh, philosophies, it's beliefs, it's, it's so many different ways that we divide. And as soon as you start to divide, you start to build up an animosity or hatred toward that person. You may not call it hatred, but that's what's happening. And it's being driven by the one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. As Jesus says, I, he came to do that. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. When we, when we put other people into a category that is less than who we are. That's not abundant life. And in the kingdom, that actually hurts us. Those kind of decisions. We, we don't open ourselves for the great blessings that God has for us. The kingdom is totally different than the world. It turns the world right side up. And, and we need to learn to live as kingdom people. Huh. Thank you, Lord. Jesus showed us the way when he healed servants of the, or the servant of the Roman centurion. And he helped the Canaanite woman from the district of Tyre and Sidon. He helped the the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. Since he was familiar with suffering, he was never afraid to show compassion to people in need, even if they were outside of his religious or cultural group. The letter to Hebrews says that because Jesus himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. It's Hebrews 2.18. From Bethlehem to Rosewood, from ancient Israel to 21st century Canada, we need to identify with the victims of racism, discrimination, and violence, and take action to protect the innocent and the vulnerable people around us. Joseph did so when, when he took Joseph or he took Jesus and Mary to Egypt. The men and women 
of Rosewood did did so when they saved so many of the inhabitants of Rosewood. A hundred years ago today, there were heroes then, and we can be heroes to somebody in our lifetime because we can see past what is being shoved down our throats today and live our lives that way. Live as real Christians, followers of Jesus, kingdom people. So good. Let's stand and pray. Ah, wonderful Lord Jesus. What a life you lived, Lord. 30 years. And the first, however long it was before you moved to Egypt, it was, you were threatened. And, and uh, Mary was, was rejected because of her pregnancy with you. But you, 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 dealt with it you suffered and as a result you could you were able to identify with us as we suffer as we are tested in our suffering you have compassion upon us thank you for your great love for us and thank you that you love us too much to leave us the way we were Help us to change, Lord. Help us to swim against the tide as, as the tide of humanity is moving toward hatred. Let us, let us make choices to move in love, to actually see the people that we meet through your eyes, to see you in them as you're working on each of us. For God so loved the world. Thank you, Lord, that, that that's available to us and that you're not done with us yet. That we get a chance to change and we can actually become heroes to, to some people that are vulnerable and threatened. Help us to see things through your eyes. Help us to hear your voice and help us to give away life as we look at our word for the year, let us give away life, the very person of Jesus Christ. We know that you are the truth. Truth isn't a concept. You are the way. And this year you are life itself. You're, you're ember glowing in each of us. Your image walking around this earth. Help us to be your people. Be kingdom people in this land. To move away from hatred toward your agape love. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you will enable us to do that. Your grace will see us through. Jesus, you're amazing. And we love you. In your lovely name, Jesus, amen.